I know in life that all of us have had numerous situations we've gotten into, things we've needed to do that are pretty black, pretty difficult, pretty painful. But I hope you've had a few of those situations where you thought something was going to be very difficult, very painful, very negative, and it ended up being wonderful. Sort of those serendipity kind of moments. Seems like it often happens as we're, I hate to say it, husbands or teenagers. And we get drugged into situations and we give them the eye roll and, oh, do we have to do this? Do we have to go here? And we end up going and it's like, hey, that was pretty fun. That was actually pretty cool. We don't want to admit it and we might never say it publicly, but we actually enjoyed ourselves. Well, that's what we're in for the disciples. You see, for them, Friday was pretty black. A dark time. They had watched Christ be tried, actually multiple times, in mock trials that were blatantly unfair and unjust, and they were powerless to do anything about it. And then they watched him be tortured and flogged, of course, taken out to Calvary and crucified. But I think for those disciples, the darkest time of Friday was actually at the end when nothing happened. Because if you think of those disciples, all the miracles they had seen, all of the dark times they had watched Jesus turn upside down, the storms where he had stilled the lake, the lepers he had healed, even a few dead people he had brought back to life. They had seen all that. They were his disciples. They'd been there. I have to believe the longer Friday went, they had waited. When's it coming? When's something going to happen here to, to change all of this and turn it upside down? But we know nothing came. Nothing happened. Jesus actually died. There were no angels who showed up. There was no miracle. He died. And now it's Sunday. And I have to believe for them it was an even darker time. In Israel, for the Jews, Saturday was the weekend. And that meant that Sunday was the start of a new week. It was Monday morning for us. It was time to go on with life, and still nothing had happened. Nothing had happened on Saturday. If you've seen the new movie, Risen, I, I love how it pictures the disciples after Christ was dead, and they drug him off. The disciples were scattered, hiding in Jerusalem, waiting, wondering. Are they coming after us? Is there a cross waiting for us? It had been a long couple days for them. And now it was a new week. Nothing had happened. Life had to go on. What are they going to do now? We can't keep hiding forever. Do we go back to our jobs? What's going to happen? Jesus is gone. 
I think hope was in pretty short supply among the followers of Jesus early Sunday morning. But it was one of those situations where they thought everything was dark and hopeless. And of course we know that by the time Sunday ended, everything was changed. We've read some of the passages of the resurrection. I would like to use John 20 verse 19. By the evening of that day, and not everyone has seen Jesus yet. A few have. And they're telling others, I have seen him. He is alive. Trust me. But notice what happens in the evening. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, that's what their Sunday had been like, Jesus appeared. He came and stood among them despite locked doors. And what's he say? Peace be with you. It's okay. I'm here. This isn't a dark day. It's a great day. You talk about an emotional roller coaster. I think the disciples qualify as being on an emotional roller coaster that Sunday. From the deepest despair to the greatest joy. Jesus was alive. He wasn't gone. They didn't have to worry about what are we going to do without him? What's it going to be like? What do we do? What's the future hold? All those questions were removed. Jesus was alive. He was with them. And not only was he alive and his presence with them again, he was alive who had been dead. Nothing could stop him. The Romans had tried. The Jewish leaders had tried. They had arrested him. They had flogged him. They had killed him. And he's alive. What else are they going to do? Nothing can stop him. Not even death in the grave. Their lives were changed forever. As he stood among them and he said, peace be with you. They would never be the same again. What I want us to understand today is that those words of Jesus are for us as well. He is still living today and as much as he stood among the disciples in that upper room and said to them, peace be with you. I believe he wants to stand before every one of us today and say that same thing to us. Peace be with you. May my peace come into your life, my presence, the reality that I am living again and that I will be with you every day, not just in this sanctuary on Easter morning in worship on Tuesday. At work. On Wednesday, as something falls apart in your life, on Thursday, as some other crisis hits, I'm alive and I will be with you. That's his promise to us as well. 
it struck me that we all face what the disciples faced. There's times we feel defeated. There's times we feel like, what are we going to do? Like Sunday morning was for them before they knew what had happened with Christ. Sometimes it's because of our own mistakes and things we do wrong. Sometimes it's because of the broken world we live in. It's nothing that we've done. But it's the brokenness around us that washes over us. And sometimes it's because of evil. Evil in our world that comes at us. And part of what strikes us and makes it so dark is we don't have all the answers. We try. We try and fix things. We try and put what's broken back together, but sometimes we can't. We're not strong enough. We're not smart enough. We don't know what to do. And like those disciples early on Sunday morning, life can feel pretty hopeless sometimes. But we're not without hope. Because Christ is alive, we are not alone. And God has proved on Easter morning, he can handle anything. As I entitled the sermon, what can't God do? What problem of yours can't he handle? What situation you may be facing can't he turn to good? He could handle Rome. He could handle Israel. All the powers of the religious leaders. He could even handle a grave sealed with a stone. That's why Paul prayed the prayer that he prayed. I believe that prayer of Paul that we're going to look at is really, in a sense, the message that Paul wanted us to get out of Easter. It's the message I hope we can each take home with us today. It's found in Ephesians 1, and if you'll hold your Bible there, we're going to work through several verses here. I'm going to stop for a second and talk about them, and we'll read some more. I want to begin with verse 18 and read through 20. Paul says, I am praying for you. I think he would pray it for us if he were alive today. I am praying for you that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know some things. I want to stop there for just a second. It's interesting that Paul sort of mixes two things here, and I don't want you to miss it. He, he, he talks about the eyes and being enlightened. That's knowing things. That's learning things. That's understanding. But he also talks about the heart. That our hearts may be enlightened. Paul wants us to know these truths that he's going to share on both levels. He wants us to know them at a head, at a head level. We understand these facts. We understand a new reality. He wants us to get it. But he also wants those facts to settle down into our hearts. So it's not just that we know some facts, but that we have inside us this feeling, this sense of, this is the new reality. This is what we now have because of Christ. And we know that. And that's the last word I want you to pick out from these first couple verses. 
Because the word that Paul says is there, I want you to know this, but what he means is I want you to experience it. You see, there's two ways we know things. We can know all kinds of facts about the moon. I know about the moon. But if I was an astronaut who went there and walked on the moon, I would know in a whole different way. I can know about the war. I can watch the news stories, read and talk to others who've been there, but it's totally different if I've been there and I know what that war is like. Well, that's the word that Paul uses here. He says, my prayer is that you're going to really know this, not just in your head, not just theoretically, not just hearing from others, but that it will come down inside you and it will be a part of you. So what is it he wants us to know very personally and in a very real way inside us? Let's keep reading. What I want you to know is the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Stop there again. We're going to read one more time. But part of what Paul wants us to know is what we have. What we have gained through Christ. The hope that we have. Because we have a Savior, as Brent said, who cared enough to die for us so we can be new people. But also a Savior who is powerful enough to conquer the grave. A Savior who will never leave us. He is alive today. And a Savior who can handle whatever comes at us. We can know that. We can know that hope. We can know the glorious inheritance we have inherited by becoming sons and daughters of God. And Paul says, I want you to know that in a very real and personal way down inside. You're a child of the King. You're a sister of Jesus, a brother of Jesus. You're co-heirs with Him. You get to sit just beyond Him at the right hand of God. Because you're one of His. And that's real. And Paul says, I am praying that you will know that in a very real way. But he has a third thing he prays for. That we would also know his incomparably great power for us who believe. What kind of power is it? That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. It's Easter morning. We have celebrated this morning the power of God that he could bring Christ from the dead and we watch that as spectators and we stand in awe of what God could do. Hollywood tries to depict the resurrection. And they've done so much good about so much of it, but I have yet to see, and you may have seen one, being a movie critic's dangerous, but I have yet to see a resurrection that wasn't a little lame. Because how do you do it? It's so beyond what we can comprehend. How do you depict it? The stone's gone. The tomb's empty. And we stand in awe of that power. 
But what Paul says for us is, I want you to understand that that power is available for you. That we as Christians have access to that same power that was demonstrated on Easter morning. What can't God do? Paul says, what I want you to understand is that part of the hope you have is that God is willing to share that power with us. To let it be at work in our lives. Not only are we not alone, not only do we see a God who can handle anything, we see a God who is willing to share that power in our lives. That's hope. But there's a question that leaves us with. And that question is, whose power are we using? Whose power are we relying on? Because I think that's one of the greatest challenges for us out of Paul's prayer. We seem to have a tendency as humans, and I think especially as American Christians, and that is we tend to be a culture that teaches self-reliance. Do it ourselves. Fix it. Figure it out. Work harder. Show up earlier. Work two jobs. Find another doctor. Get some more education. It's programmed into us. Solve it ourselves. Problem is we bring that into our Christianity. And so when we face challenges as Christians, we're going to try and tough it through. Churches try and do things, and it's, the whole discussion is, what can we accomplish? Do we have enough people? Do we have enough resources? What can we do? Both individually and as churches, we are pulled to doing it ourselves. And yet, that is the very thing God said, I never expected you to do it yourself. I knew you would need my help. I knew you would need my power. And it's here and it's available. And too often aren't we all guilty of trying to fix it ourselves. And we wonder why things aren't working. And sometimes we even get mad at God. How come you're not fixing this? And I think sometimes he would want to say right back to us, because you're not letting me help. You're trying to do it yourself. You're trying to do it in your power. The older I get, my wife and I have a running joke. I try and use my muscles less and my brain more. Moving stuff around the yard, rolling a log, whatever it may be. Because my back gets really sore and it hurts. But if I use a winch, if I use all kinds of these tools, this stuff, it's like, hey, that wasn't so bad. I wonder how many times God is like that. Yeah, you're trying to muscle through. How's that going for you? Did you just smash your thumb? Yeah, I, I had a hammer here. You could have used that. I had a power nailer here. You could have used that. But we don't, do we? And we wonder why we struggle. 
There's a challenge in Easter for us. And that challenge is, how much are we leaning on God? It's a challenge for us as individuals. It's a challenge for us as a church. Some of the coolest things I watch happen are not when a whole army of people come together and work extra hard and sweat extra hours. It's when sometimes a handful of people pray and say, God, you got to come help us. And amazing things happen. A few people said, let's try and help Adams Elementary. Let's get a little food together for them. And suddenly we got food and, and, and all kinds of things are happening because those few people said, only God can do this. We can't do it. And an amazing things happen for numerous families. The newspaper comes. The, the social worker from the school comes and says, you guys are really doing this. I can't believe it's really happening. Well, it wasn't us. It was God. We said from the start, God, you got to do this if you want it to work. And he opened door after door after door. Because some people relied on his power. That's our challenge. Individually in our own lives. Does it mean everything will work out? No, I can't promise you that. Jesus died on the cross. Didn't work out great on Friday, but watch what God did on Easter. There will be times where we'll say, God, where's your power? I didn't see it happen. And he says, no, I have something greater coming. Just wait. But trust in him. I was struck as I was standing at the back watching all of you come in. And I don't know all of you, but I know a lot of you. And I've now been here enough years that I, I know your stories, a lot of them. And I see family after family come in. And I know there's stuff going on in your lives. There's challenges, there's bad news, there's struggles, there's pain. There's things you can't fix. You're trying. But I, what I want you to hear today is that we serve a living God who is incredibly powerful. What can't God do? And on this morning of all of the year, there is no doubt he can handle it. How will he work it out? I can't promise you that. Will there still be more pain? Probably. This isn't a genie that comes out of a lamp and does what we tell him to do. But it is a God of all power and all love who says, I want you to know your inheritance, the hope I have for you, and my power, let me work in your life, in your home, in this church. Let me show you what I can do. You think Jesus walking out of a grave was impressive? Watch what else that power can do for you. That's the message of Easter. Let's pray. Father, we celebrate, we praise you, we thank you, we honor you for the victory of Easter morning. And that we have hope now. We have a living Savior who walks with us every day.
But we also have your promise that that same power that rolled open that tomb and brought the dead to life, you will share that power with us in our lives in this church. Help us, Father, to be wise and not try and do it ourselves. Help us turn to you and your power. In your son's name, amen.